John chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the chapter says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then all the way down at the end of the chapter, if you want to put bookends on it, verse 51 says, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we look at these verses, we see your Son Jesus called the Word, God, and Son of Man. Help us this day to know Jesus, to know him better, to honor you faithfully. God, forgive us. We are so easily driven to failure. We so easily compromise. Help us this day be faithful and love you. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. A few years ago, I read through a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the name of the book was Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. That may seem like an odd title, but all four of those words give you a very good picture of Bonhoeffer. He, he really was a pastor, and he really was, he died a martyr's death. He spoke in so many ways, like a prophet into his generation, and yes, he did spend some time as a spy in Germany during World War II. Those labels apply. What's in a label or a title? If you want to get to know a person, you often need to find out what labels they rightly wear, right? Who are you? Are you a Christian or something else? That's a label you wear or you don't wear, right? Are you a man or a woman? Are you single, married, engaged, widowed, divorced, something else? Are you a student? What's your career? You stay-at-home mom? Are you conservative or liberal when it comes to morality or economics? Last week, we talked about the fact we get to know others best when we find out what they're called. The labels I wear help you know me. I'm Travis, husband, father, pastor, upholsterer. Not that last one. You probably have labels that you would apply to me too, don't you? I probably wouldn't like them, but I bet you've got some. And all the labels that you would apply to me, if they're true, would have something to do with how you know me. But this morning, we're not here to know me. We're not here to label each other. We're here to better know, love, and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1, there are several titles, several labels that apply to Jesus and help us see who he is. We've spent several weeks already working our way through this chapter, but as I said to you guys last week, it's a good idea right now for us to take these last two weeks to look over the end of, uh, look over chapter one of John and find and catch those labels for Jesus. Because after all, chapter one gives us at least a dozen names and titles for Jesus. What do we see Jesus called in this chapter? If you walk through the chapter, you'll see Jesus called the Word, God, the Light, Son of God, Christ, which is also Messiah, Lamb of God, He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, Rabbi, Him of whom Moses in the Law and also the Prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Joseph, 
king of Israel, and son of man. That's 12. Last week, we looked at half of the labels or titles for Jesus that you find in John chapter 1, and we grouped them together in two categories. You remember that? We first saw that Jesus offers salvation, and we learned about Jesus' saving heart and his saving purposes in titles like the light, the lamb, and he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We also saw that Jesus is God's promised king from words and phrases like Christ, Messiah, him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, and king of Israel, and even the title son of God aims a little bit at the kingship of Jesus. But today, let's see the remaining titles for Jesus and two key categories of thinking about Jesus that I believe will help us to know our Savior better. We're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to know Jesus more. So, category number three. How many sermons have you had start with point three? Today it does. Category number three, Jesus is God. Category number three, Jesus is God. Now, okay, I want to tell you guys something about myself. And this is a a dangerous... Remember those old choose-your-own-adventure illustrations? Or books, right? I'm going to let you guys do choose-your-own-illustration. How many of you are sports people? How many of you are Star Wars people? Okay, the nerds win. I'm going to tell you guys I'm a Star Wars fan, big Star Wars fan, and I could have included that in the labels I gave myself, but it seems better that I put this right here for you, okay? This is going to help you get to the point of this particular category. Like I said, a big Star Wars fan. Quick poll. How many of you love Star Wars? A few of you good? How many of you at least know something about what Star Wars is? All right. How many of you have already fallen asleep because you know nothing about Star Wars? Okay, God bless you. Stick with me. I'll help you guys, okay? I will help you. Okay, this is going to help, I promise. Who's your favorite Star Wars character? That's a tough question, right? For me, I struggle between two characters in Star Wars. There's the wily starship captain with the devil-may-care attitude who gets himself into trouble but always seems to find a way to get the job done. You know who I'm talking about. Or, but there's also a man in the movies who has a deeper wisdom, greater knowledge of the galaxy, and he's got a lot to teach the people around him, especially our reckless captain. So here's the question in Star Wars. Do you like Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock better? I mean, because, guys, either way, when those guys fly the Enterprise into danger and they rescue the universe from the Decepticons and they knock out Thanos and they save Middle Earth, it is spectacular, right? Have I missed something? Maybe a couple things, right? Okay, maybe I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as uh, I made out. Honestly, that was a test. Now, real quick, for you sports fans... Today is what? What game is happening today? Super Bowl. How many of you are looking for Tom Brady to hit a home run? Exactly the same thing just happened right there for you sports guys who didn't get the Star Wars stuff, okay? Now, if somebody starts, says, I love me some Star Wars, 
and then starts talking about Star Trek, something's wrong, right? And if I start talking about football and then mention home runs or the penalty box, something's not right. I'm confused. And if a person says, again, I love this thing. I love Star Wars, but I'm not talking about Star Wars. I love football, but I'm not actually talking about football. There's something that's off. Guys, if somebody says to you that they love God, but when they talk about God, they talk about somebody else, something not God, something is wrong, right? In his holy word, God has let us know who he is. God has told us about his character and his nature and his very being. God has shown us what pleases him and what he will justly, rightly judge as sin. And if we believe that we can worship or follow somebody who is not God, as God describes himself in the Bible, we're wrong. Far worse than saying Star Wars and then talking about Captain Kirk, you are wrong about a topic of eternal significance for your soul if you talk about God and then define him as something he's not. Some of you are old enough, many of us are old enough to remember the time after the terrorist attacks of 9-11-2001, right? In that day, Evil men killed thousands of people by intentionally crashing airliners into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania. And many people at that time, if you remember this, if you're old enough to have watched the news at that time, there was a big fear in our country uh, that there might be anti-Muslim violence. You guys remember that season a little bit? Because the terrorists who flew the planes into the buildings were Islamic, People feared that unthinking, angry people would do cruel things to anybody of Middle Eastern descent. And so many people in politics and many people in Hollywood made it a point to proclaim a message of, of kindness, reminding people not all Middle Easterners, not all Muslims, not all people with an accent or different clothing are dangerous people. And those messages were good, by the way. We needed that as a nation. We needed to be reminded, don't hurt somebody because they look like somebody who hurt you. I remember, though, President Bush taking to the airwaves and speaking to the nation, and he really wanted to keep folks from doing cruel things to people who really weren't responsible for 9-11. And that was good. But in his speech, and in his speeches, President Bush repeatedly said some things that were very untrue. And what I mean is President Bush repeatedly told Americans that Christians and Muslims all worship the same God. Do y'all remember that? And you've probably, you probably still hear it today from time to time. But you'll hear people say, we all worship the same God. We should all get along because we all worship the same God. But that, dear friends, is false. Now, it is true. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all trace their roots to the Old Testament, to the patriarch Abraham. But all three of these faiths define God differently. 
significantly differently. Judaism and Islam, like Christianity, declare that there is only one God. But unlike Judaism, unlike Islam, Christians follow Scripture and see that the one God is triune, one God in three persons. And that is different than the deity proclaimed in Judaism and Islam. Now, the word Trinity is never found in your Bible. Trinity is a helpful word that we use to help us describe a complex truth about the being of God as revealed in Scripture. So let me tell you three significant truths contained in what we think of when we think of the word Trinity. First, there is one and only one God. You all agree with that? We are a monotheistic people. All other claims to deity, anything else, anyone else who claims to be God other than God is a liar. Idols, you worship idols, you're worshiping false gods or demons, imposters, never the true God. Secondly, the one true God is revealed to us in three persons. God the Father, Jesus, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible consistently communicates that these three persons are the one true God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. There is only one God. Third, though the three persons are the one true God, each person is distinct. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit The Spirit is not the Father. These are three persons who are the one true God. And it is utterly inappropriate to describe any of these persons as part of God because God cannot be divided or diminished in any way. Think about the Great Commission, end of Matthew's telling of the gospel. Jesus commands the church to go and make disciples of folks from all nations, And in the command, we're called the baptized people in the name. How many names? The name, singular, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All three of these persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, have equal claim to the one name of God, Yahweh. Yet all three of these persons is identified individually with their unique name, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, you might find the Trinity a complicated concept, and I think that's fair, because it's bigger than your brain or mine. But if you do not believe that God is triune, you are not thinking about the God of the Bible. That's how I can say Christians and Muslims do not worship the same God. And if you don't see Jesus as God, God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, you are not rightly thinking of the Jesus of the Bible. One of the most important themes in the Gospel according to John is the true deity of Jesus. And in that category, we're going to see three things said about Jesus in John chapter 1 that claim rightly Jesus is God. First, 
getting back to the names, Son of God, that points us to his deity. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, if you look with your eyes there, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or look down at verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now last week I told you the term Son of God is a label that was often applied to the Lord's chosen kings of Israel. That's absolutely true. I'm not changing that. David was said to be a son to God. Solomon was said to be a son to God. The nation of Israel collectively sometimes is said to be God's own son. Nathaniel, in verse 49, calls Jesus son of God, connecting him to the kingship of Israel. But there is another way that this term is used that is absolutely vital. In the first century culture, if you lived in the first century, if you called someone a son of something or a son of someone, you are saying, in a way, this person is the same as that thing. So think about this. Who knows what the nickname was for John and James? They were sons of, of thunder, right? Sons of thunder. What does that mean? It means those guys thunder, loud people. Some people were described as sons of destruction. What does that mean? They're headed for destruction. There is, in fact, going to be no difference between you and destruction. You're going to be the same thing. If you called someone a son of a dog, guess what you're calling them? You're calling them a dog. That's what you were doing. And a person who's son of light, that's a person who's a quality of light as goodness. Son of God language is sometimes used simply to indicate true deity, true divinity, true godness. And if you call Jesus the Son of God, you're saying Jesus is God on earth. And that's what we see in verses 14 and 34 of John chapter 1. What did, what did verse 14 say? If you see the Son of God, you see the glory of God. That's a big claim, right? I mean, if I said to you, if you see me, you see the glory of God, wouldn't that sound kind of full of myself? Yeah, you agreed really quickly, by the way. If someone, if someone has, if we see Jesus as son of God, he is showing us God. The glory of God is visible in God the Son. The grace and truth that our gods are visible and present in the Son. Jesus brings us a perfect picture of God because he is. Verse 34, John the Baptist has been telling us of his experience in baptizing Jesus, right? He, the, the Spirit of God descended down from heaven like a dove. He remained on Jesus. The voice of God the Father spoke, said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. There he's not talking about Jesus as the King. He's saying Jesus is God in the flesh, God's own Son. Physically, you could say Jesus is God's Son in the simple fact that he was born of a virgin. He was conceived by the miraculous power of God instead of through any physical action between people. But more importantly... 
Jesus is son of God in the truth that Jesus is of the very same substance, the very same essence as is God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Don't let yourself be confused here with the word son. See, when you think about sons, you think about something, you know, a father produces, something that didn't exist, parents come together, then the kid's there, that's how fathers get sons. But that is only a shadow of the real truth of what the sonship of Jesus is. Jesus relates to God the Father as God the Son, but Jesus was not created by or made by God the Father. What do we say when we read the Creed, the Nicene Creed? He is the only begotten of the Father, begotten, not made. So what I'm saying to you is Jesus is not like God, but just a little bit lower. He's not the second God to come along. No, no, no. Jesus is just as much God as is God the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Did you hear those words I just said? Jesus is the exact picture of the majesty of God. What does that tell you about him? He's God. Again, you might look at somebody in this room and think they're a great person, but ain't one person in this room that you look at and you say, that is the exact picture of the majesty of God. Look around. Is there anybody you're going to pick that out on? Hebrews author said, God spoke to our fathers through the prophet, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. He appointed him the heir of all things. He created all things through him. Jesus is the exact picture of God. He, Jesus is the one who created the universe. By the way, what do we call the one who created the universe? We call him God. It said, the Bible says in the beginning, who created? God created. Jesus is God. He is the son of God. Second, in these terms, second label, the word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You call Jesus the word, you bring to mind the act of creation when God created the world with the word in Genesis chapter one, right? It was the word of God. It was the word God spoke that brought the universe into, into, into existence out of nothing. It's the word of God, the word God speaks that keeps the universe going. Jesus is that very word, that very God who made all things. And we said this when we first preached John 1, 1 back in December. Jesus, as the word of God, is the perfect self-expression of God. You cannot know a person if you don't have their words. You cannot understand me, who I am, what makes me tick, what makes what I think, what I want, if you don't have my words. You certainly cannot know God without God revealing himself to you by his words. And Jesus is the God you can see, the God who reveals God to us so we might know God. And then I'll give you one more hint from John chapter 1 that Jesus is God. The third label, you ready? The word that's used for Jesus is, get this, God. 
John 1, 1. Look at it with with me so you see it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. John 1, 18, toward the end of the prologue. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The glorious theology of the Trinity, friends, is present in the prologue with so much clarity. Verse 1 says Jesus exists in the beginning. He's uncreated. He's with God. He is God. That Jesus exists in the beginning with God again. He's uncreated. The Father didn't didn't start him. There's never been a time, there's never been a moment in eternity when Jesus does not exist. He did not come into being after the Father. But that last phrase, and the word was God, helps us also to see that while Jesus is with God, Jesus also is God. Jesus is not the other persons of the Trinity, not the Father, not the Spirit, but he is God, and he perfectly lets us see and know God. Then verse 18 keeps the same picture going. Nobody's ever seen God. Well, God is. The only God has. The God who's at the Father's side, that God has made God known. Now listen to me. The language of verses 1 and 18 is indecipherable if you don't have the Trinity. If you know there's only one God, how can there be God at God's side if there's only one God? How can the Word be with God and be God? But if you understand the Trinity at all, this is absolutely perfect language. Jesus is God, God the Son. And if you want to know God, you must know Jesus because there's no way for you to know God apart from Jesus and there's no way for you to rightly honor Jesus if you see Jesus as anything less than God. In fact, if you see Jesus as less than God, you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. If you think that Jesus is just God the Father putting on a different hat, you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. But if you know there is one God who exists eternally as three persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you're knowing the God of the Bible. So what do we do knowing Jesus is God? Well, worship him. Surrender to him. Honor him. Come to God through him. Love him for his perfection. And now, I want you to be amazed as we look at the last category. The fourth, final category of labels for Jesus in John 1. Category 4, Jesus connects God to man. Jesus connects God to man. Throughout the history of the church, there have been a couple doctrinal issues where people are most apt to make the biggest mistakes. Some of them are heresies that relate to the Trinity, right? Some people just cannot fathom what God has said about himself. How can there be one God and three persons? How can the Father be God, the Son be God, the Spirit be God, and there be only one God? That's a tough question for some folks. And those who have been confused by this often try to introduce extra-biblical things to make it make more sense. You ever have somebody try to help you understand the Trinity? They almost always mess you up. In every case, 
throughout history, when people try to simplify this, they tend to distort the biblical picture of God. What do some people do? Some people talk about Jesus as if, well, okay, Jesus is a God, but he's not really God. He's less than the, the ultimate God. He's God-like, God-ish, a little lower. That's the error of Arius back in the 4th century. That's the error of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses today. There's another error. Another type of heresy out there, though, that's, that's common. It's not just Trinitarian. And that's the mistake of disconnecting Jesus from humanity, from his true humanity. In the past, there have been people who could not imagine that there could be a way for Jesus to be both truly God and truly man without compromising one of those two sides. Some people said, the, um, the uh, docetists would say, Jesus looked like he was a man, but he was really only God. He was just tricking you. Or some people say that Jesus, because he is God, could never have taken on flesh because flesh is evil. The Gnostics did that. Here's what you've got to know about Jesus. Jesus is truly God without compromise. You guys believe that? You also have to know, once Jesus took on flesh in the incarnation, Jesus is also truly man, truly human, without compromise. Do you believe that too? If you refuse to believe either the deity, the godness, or the humanity of Jesus, that is you refusing to believe in the true Jesus. I'm going to give you three final labels for Jesus in John 1 that remind us that Jesus is truly man. First, how about the word rabbi? John 1, 38, they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? You can see that term used by Nathaniel, by the way, in verse 49 as well. Rabbi is a very human word, isn't it? It means teacher, just like John said. As Jesus begins his public ministry, he was understood by people to be a teacher of the things of God. He could help people understand the word of God. People would follow him to learn from him and his ways. But if Jesus is only God, only God and not truly man as well, it'd be a little weird to wear the teacher rabbi label. But Jesus has no problem here being understood as a human teacher besides being known as God in the flesh. And for you and me, this is good news. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus teaches us the things of God. Jesus shows us how to come to God, how to live to please God once we're under God's grace. Second thing, though. Jesus is also called Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 45. Philip uses the name there. Philip finds Nathanael, said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the, prophets all, and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, this is not going to take us much time, guys. Only want to show you, Jesus is identified with a very ordinary set of human labels. The way Philip speaks of Jesus to Nathanael here, he's using super ordinary terms, common identifiers. He calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the word Jesus, if you don't know this, was a very common name. It's a form of the name Joshua. 
It means Yahweh saves. It's a perfect name for our Savior, by the way. But the Savior in the Bible is not the only person named Jesus. He's certainly not the only person named Jesus in the culture. Philip goes further, though. He helps Nathaniel to know which Jesus we're talking about because there's so many around here. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth. That's a town in Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up. Remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You could have called him Jesus of Bethlehem, but he didn't live there very long. During his ministry, his home base is not Nazareth, but Capernaum. But Nazareth, that's where he was from. Most people thought anyway. So that's the label that helped people know which Jesus we're talking about. Which Jesus you mean? Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, okay, I know him. And Philip also calls him son of Joseph. Now, by the way, legally that's true. Is it physically true? No. Joseph is Jesus' adoptive dad. Joseph was a carpenter. He was husband to Mary. But Jesus was supernaturally conceived by the Spirit of God. Probably in the gospel according to John, by the way, Joseph had probably already passed away. We never see him mentioned in the adult ministry of Jesus. Jesus entered his ministry around age 30. So somewhere between when Jesus was 12 at the temple in Luke and age 30 when Jesus began his ministry, Joseph passed away. But to all who knew Jesus as he grew up, to all who knew Jesus as he entered Jewish society, if you called him Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph, that'd be a good way to know which Jesus people were talking about. And the label Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, it reminds us he is a very real, very human man who walked the earth. He lived in a small town. He had a true human family. You'd even say he even knows the loss of a father figure. This guy, he knows sorrow. He knows loss. He knows what it's like to work. He was just, he lived as an ordinary man. One more label. Still with me? Son of man. Look at verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The phrase Son of Man occurs all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, you see three different ways that the phrase Son of Man is used. First, Son of Man, Sons of Man, that's used to indicate that somebody is human in contrast with deity. Son of man's an ordinary human being. Secondly, in the book of Ezekiel, very similarly, the prophet is often referred to as son of man. It's a title for himself. It's a humbling title. Ezekiel, as a prophet, is still but a man. The third way son of man is used in the Old Testament is in reference to an important figure in the end times, in eschatology. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, listen to this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. There, the Son of Man is a person. He's a human who comes on the clouds of heaven with power to defeat the forces of evil and establish God's eternal kingdom. In the Gospels, we see Jesus use the term Son of Man for himself around 88 times. And sometimes he's emphasizing his true humanity. Sometimes he's emphasizing his lowliness, his willing humiliation for the sake of the, uh, of the plan of God. Sometimes Jesus uses it to show you that he is the mighty God coming on the clouds with power and great glory. What's he doing here in John 1:51 with Son of Man? I would suggest to you that here, when you see Jesus wear the label Son of Man, he's clearly showing us that he is the person, the only person who can connect God to humanity. He is a man, he is God, and he is the only one who can bring God and humanity together. Look at verse 51. When Jesus says that they will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he's drawing their mind to the Old Testament. He's drawing their mind to the story that you might remember from the book of Genesis. You probably refer to it as Jacob's Ladder. You ever hear that term before? I want you to listen. Keep your eyes on that verse in John. Listen, though, to Genesis 28, 12. It says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. There's Jacob's ladder. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Do you hear something similar sounding? Yeah, you should. In Genesis 28, 10 through 17, we read about Jacob lying down to sleep and he has a dream vision of a ladder connecting heaven to earth. And in that dream, God affirms to Jacob the covenant promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, who is surprised, he realizes, oh my goodness, I've been in the presence of God all along and I didn't know. Again, 28.16 of Genesis says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And by pointing the minds of the people who hear him back to this story in the Old Testament and calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus tells you who he is, and he tells you what he's doing. Jesus is God with us, though many people are surprised. God's here, and I didn't even know it. And Jesus is truly man, genuinely human. And Jesus is the ladder. He's the staircase. He is the only way that God will relate to man or that mankind can ever relate to God. If you want a way to God, you can only come to God through Jesus, the Son of Man. Friends, I want you to know Jesus. I really do. Jesus offers us salvation. 
We learn about that in John 1 when he calls himself, when he's called the light, the lamb, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the promised king from God, and we learn about that from titles like Christ and Messiah and King of Israel and him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, and even one use of the term Son of God. But today we've also emphasized Jesus is truly God and truly man. Jesus is the only way that any man or any woman can ever have a relationship with God. We know he's God because he wears titles like Son of God, the Word of God, and God. If you don't see Jesus as truly God, you do not understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is also truly human. We see that from titles like Rabbi, from his name, from his hometown, from his family description, and from the use of the title Son of Man. That's vital. If Jesus is not man and Son of Man, he cannot connect us to God. But because Jesus is truly God and truly man, he can help you know God. He can give you a relationship with God. He can save your soul. If you don't know Jesus, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, if you're watching us on YouTube and you don't know Jesus, I urge you, come to Jesus and find life. He is your only hope for relationship with God. If you try to have a relationship with God apart from Jesus, you're trying to have a relationship with somebody who is not God. Believe in Jesus. Surrender to Jesus as Lord and ask Jesus to give you grace and know that he, the loving son of man, will save your soul. And Christians love the fact that Jesus is both God and man. He's man, which means he understands you. He brings to you God and he's God so he can save you to the uttermost and keep you from, from, from falling away for eternity. Praise be to Jesus, son of God and son of man. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we are so grateful for your word. It reveals to us things that we would never have dreamed up on our own. It reveals to us things that we could never get right on our own. It reveals to us Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man. Lord, I would plead with you now that we would know Jesus as he truly is that we would worship Jesus faithfully, that we would rejoice in the Savior. Now, Lord, as we sing, and then as we remember Jesus, his life and death and resurrection in Lord's Supper, may we honor and know this Savior for real. May we not think of him and call him something else. May we not think of something else and call it him May we love and know Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.